What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What is up, podcast listeners? It's your boy, Matt Baxter here. This episode of the podcast, I am hanging out with Dr. Daria Long. She would kill me if I said Daria Long. But we dive into her background as an ER doctor, a mother, a New York Times bestselling author, a TEDx speaker, a Yale School of Medicine graduate, a Harvard Business School graduate. I just, I, I can't even keep up. I don't know how she does it. So we dive into some awesome topics around her background, COVID-19, and the amazing work she is doing in the space. I would highly, highly recommend you reach out to her for speaking engagements. You reach out to her for book stuff. You reach out to her to maybe if you're part of CNN or Fox News having her on the show, because she's definitely a regular guest on those as well, too. She's just fantastic. And I got to give a huge shout out to Nilly Rafay who set this whole thing up and made this very easy for both of us to record. So a lot going on in the world, and Dr. Daria is not afraid to dive deep into it and give her advice, her thoughts, and just the overall state of the union of things and how things are going as well, too. So huge shout-out to those two ladies who set this up, and this was just a fantastic podcast on the Map Action Show. Thanks again. Dr. Daria Long, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. We are super excited to have you. This is going to be an absolute blast. There is a lot going on in the world right now, and I heard that I'm not supposed to mention that I'm crazy busy. I don't really know where that lingo is coming from, but is that okay to say here? Hi, Matt. Good morning. And no, you are not allowed to talk to the person who just gave a TED Talk on ending the crazy busy to say you are crazy busy. I should just kind of slip that little TED Talk. <laughs> in the show notes, I'm crazy busy right now. She's not into me saying that, so. <laughs> not allowed. 
Well, thank you so much for being here. There are certainly crazy times. Is that okay? I got it. Okay, okay. Yes, okay. you can so, say that. It's true. <laughs> well, it's true. Crazy, unprecedented. Absolutely. Definitely. Well, super excited to have you. I'm excited to hear your story. You are doing some amazing things. I'm going to mention this many times, but knowing what I know about you, you're an absolute superwoman. So I'm just excited to hear the whole story and then uh, we'll just dive in. So if you're willing, can you just share your background? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you again for having me, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. I am an emergency room doctor. I am a mom of two little ones, and I am a, a also a regular now on CNN and the Dr. Oz show, a bunch of other networks, really helping people understand the medicine and the science, but with a little bit of a dose of sanity and live down here in Atlanta, where it's a gorgeous day right now. Yeah, I know. I heard it's beautiful when I'm staring at a gray day out in Michigan. So don't love that. But how old, uh, how old are your two little ones? So they are three and six. And um, of course, now we are shooting this. I'm shooting this interview. We're shooting CNN from my home office. And it's just a matter of time before I get, you know, one of those shots where the one of the children comes running in half naked. I try to calm <laughs> them to keep them out. It's, it's going to happen. It's sure. like it's like the old Steph Curry video when his daughter comes and sits and she starts talking <laughs> on the mic. So it's it's good FaceTime, right? <laughs> exactly. That's amazing. They probably have better commentary than I do on the whole COVID crisis. You know, listen to the mouths of children. Well, they're welcome if they want to join. So we're good here. So. <laughs> So, so, the, so the medical background, so let's start. So where were you originally from? Like, where did the, you know, the origin of your story start and then kind of led up to like, where, where did medicine particularly begin? Yeah. So I grew up in Tennessee, only about two hours from where we are here and had a, I really had a great childhood, a lot of outdoors, a lot of nature. Um, I was uh, a debutante, uh, in the cotton ball. So, um, really, really had a wonderful childhood, really had some wonderful teachers really encouraged me in the math and sciences and ended up going to into medical school and going up north for my training and then coming back home eventually after training. I was up at Harvard and Yale and then coming back down south about five years ago. I gotta, I gotta ask, uh, is Tennessee, so you live in Georgia now, is Tennessee yeah. considered the south or is that, is that up north? Oh, Matt, Matt, Matt. Okay. How much time do we have? We're going to have to- <laughs> This is the grand, this is the so, grand dispute. <laughs> yes, Tennessee is absolutely, if you look at where the Mason-Dixon line is, no. Um, yes, Tennessee is considered the South and with a capital S, I suppose. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I have a number of places that are very dear to me. I spent a lot of time in Boston, too. And um, that's kind of like the second place where my heart is as well. So Sure. Uh, love that. So I heard you mention, I know your background is you have both Harvard and Yale. So let's separate the stories. Then I have just so many crossover questions. But which one did you do for which one? So... Med yeah. like med school undergrad or how, how did how did those cross over? So I went to I was actually at medical school at, New York, at the University of Rochester. I, it was a program I got into out of high school and kind of got accepted into the medical school as a 16 or 17 year old, which was funny because you you don't really know what anything is when you're 16 or 17 years old, and. Um, I had, a, I had a really interesting experience. I was able to study abroad and do some other cool things because I didn't have to do the typical applications for medical school. But then I was in the middle of medical school and started to you know, see changes in the way healthcare was provided and billing and frustration by doctors and frustrations by patients and thinking there has to be a better way to do this. So I applied to business schools and um, I was taking my boards. I really didn't have time. I did. It was kind of beautiful because I was 
blissfully ignorant of the challenges of getting into business school. And my business school buddies later told me they were on message boards. They were doing things with their fellow banker friends and all these training programs. I, I took my step, my boards for medical school and the next day I took my GMATs. I got my score right afterwards and I called a friend and that friend Googled my score and Googled the average business school score. I was like, okay, good, yes, now you can apply to Harvard. So I'm like, okay, let's do that. Um, and went to Harvard for business school which was truly a transformative experience because it did really change how I looked at the world. I, you know, I previously looked at it very much as a scientist and now started you know, incorporating human behavior. Why do we do things? How can I help people do this medical information? How can I help them do that in a different way? So it was Harvard for Business School, went to Yale for residency, and then after residency came back and joined the Harvard Medical School faculty for a couple of years, which was really a, a fantastic experience. A cool extra side benefit of that is that what my hospital, you, as the doctors, we were also the doctors for Fenway. So we would go and you'd be the team, you'd be the doctor for Fenway Stadium, um, you know, 40 to 60,000 people. You know, my husband loved it because you got two free seats right there, um, two rows back between home plate and first base. And he loved to sit there and watch. And I'm too ADHD to sit and watch a game, but I would, you know, get to go walk around. And it just, it was such a microcosm of Boston as a greater city and a wonderful experience. Yeah, what a, what a nice byproduct, a couple of extra tickets. So that's pretty fun. So I, I got to ask, so you're talking to somebody who uh, I would not describe myself as an academic, right? So when you're <laughs> studying for med school, is that the same thing as studying for business school? Two different like parts oh, of your yeah. brain or like what, when you're actually like diving into the library, like, cause I, I probably stepped in the library twice by accident. So like, what is actually <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, cause I certainly was not where lost. I was supposed to be. <laughs> but what, like the actual like studying, or is it like the, the same? type of no car like what's what's the practicality of studying for the two different like you know i have to admit you know i learned more at hbs and harvard than than i i didn't even realize i was learning and you just kind of look and realize that the way you were looking at the world was changing but you know part of it was the people we were surrounded by and every day i was surrounded by 90 people who i was pretty sure every single one of them was smarter than i was and they made you raise your game which was such an amazing experience. And it's something when I'm team building now, it's like, how do I find those people who are smarter than I am, who will call me out and won't let me give that BS answer because that's how we all, you know, elevate what the work we're doing. And so uh, that was great. You know, we, we took a fair amount of trips. My, my German friends took me to Oktoberfest. My J Japanese friends took me to, to Tokyo and the sushi market and to go meet the executives at Toyota. So it was both in the classroom and outside very different experience from the medical school. I've got to sit here for seven hours and just pour this anatomy book into my brain and uh, and learn that. So very, very different sides of my brain. Um, and, and for a while, it seemed like I was always using two different parts of my brain. I was using the business side and working as a digital health executive. Now I'm going to be the doctor. And it really was only in the last two years that that has all started to kind of meld together to realize, you know, here's how these things are self-reinforcing to build something that's really even more useful for people. That's a, that's a great point. I, that, one, one thing that was kind of popping in my head. So what is the, what is the med, like the medical world need from the business world and what does the business world need from the medical world? And I know that's super loaded, but it, it like, I mean, we could probably talk, <laughs> we could probably talk for multiple days, but what would be like, would you have like a, a, a hot pearl wisdom on, you know, what is like, what's the crossover that the other one doesn't realize about the other one? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a, that's a really good question. And I've never necessarily thought of it in those terms. Um, 
but you know, as, as a physician, put on my physician hat and there's many things for which we have science and have answers. There are many things for which we have gray areas. And I don't think that the medical world is good at answering and helping ex always explain those things um, and, and sharing that information. And, and the hard part is how do I share? And I, I've always thought about this, you know, when I see a patient in the, in the emergency department and, you know, the data, I don't have it at my fingertips. I would love to be able to say to that patient, do they come in with chest pain? And this is, you know, this is something that I would love to build. Be able to say, you know, you're a, a 65 year old male. Here are your symptoms because we have all this data. It's in multiple studies, but pull it together. Say 65 year old male, you have these symptoms. Nitroglycerin didn't help your symptoms or it did. Your troponins, your lab tests were both negative. Your risk of having, you know, a heart event in the next 30 days, we often have this, is, you know, it's less than 2%. Next, we can do a stress test or something. And you can give patients the, I've learned, you can give the, the data to patients, but how do we distill that down? And I think that in medicine, we have so much information, but we're not good at distilling it down in a way that a lay person who doesn't understand some of the, the nuances of studies can answer. I think on the business side, you know, I've worked, you know, I, I was, I led clinical strategy at ShareCare, which was a, it's a big digital health engagement company started by the guy who started WebMD. Um, and I think on the business side, we are, they're able to tell stories and they're able to create structures. But sometimes I think, I truly do think any healthcare business needs to come from that core of science first and then lay the tech on top of it. And sometimes I've seen many options of business world, they come with a cool tech and then they try to make it fit into medicine and it doesn't work that way. It has to be the reverse. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm, I'm glad you answered the business world in the second portion because the more medical you talked, I would want to go back to baseball because it's way over my head. So oh. <laughs> no, See, that's it's... the thing See, I was probably leaning into. But that's, how do we convey complex medical things in a way and the nuances in a way that's clear for people? Absolutely. No, absolutely. That's amazing. So what is, I, I want to get into certainly your, your, your personal brand and who, you know, who you are and everything that you're doing, you know, we're going to dive into that, but like, what is sort of the day-to-day -day life today, both in combining the business world, the medical world, like, what does that look like today for you? It's really fun. Really, <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I have to say that. Um, and you know, one of the things I realized about myself as an emergency room doctor, and then um, it, you know, I, I spent some time working as an analyst at Fidelity, and I realized what I like. I like living at that edge. I like living at that edge where you're, you know, you're taking care of very critical patients, or you're doing something, you know, in a world where there's a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot of space to push and there is room for that risk and there's that room for that reward. So I realized that. And so I think kind of in the entrepreneurial world that probably anybody who's listening, who's an entrepreneur is like, yep, that sounds like my life too. Um, so up until a couple of years ago, my life was pretty siloed. I had, I'd go work in the emergency department. Then I'd go work as a digital health executive. And then I was also doing this media stuff on the side. And it was a little disjointed. And it wasn't until about a year and a half ago, I had my book, Mom Hacks, that was scheduled to come out. And had been doing, had some really great experiences in the digital health world, which had also been able to connect me to CNN and doing more work with Dr. Oz. And I realized, and I had had my own health problems, which I'm sure we'll get into. 
I realized that suddenly I'd had my own health problems as an individual. As a physician, I knew how to treat them. And now I knew with the media world and you know the, the digital health world, how to answer that and take that message to the public. And I realized that's what I need to be doing. That is how this all fits together. And so left the corporate world about 18 months ago, which was hard. And uh, fortunately, the company I was with was really wonderful about it. Scary. And say now, and it was really a, a now or never point. And I knew I needed to do it. My book coming out, this was my chance. So now it's actually really fun because now I, I'm still working in the emergency department because that I am an ER doctor core. That is, that's what I do. But I can take those lessons. I can take the work that I'm doing in the media and they all start to feed one another. And I have my patients who are benefiting from it. I have people who are following me on social and on my newsletter and the brands that I'm working with. And it's, it's really an exciting moment and starting to hear from people. And you know, I heard, I got a message the other day. Somebody said, you know, I've struggled with this, uh, with a health problem for years. And hearing from you was the first time I understood what I have. I'm not sure how much sleep you get at night, but that probably helps you sleep well at night, getting stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's it. That's why I do it. And so it, it's really exciting right now. That's amazing. So I want to, uh, obviously, I know you're pretty active on social currently in the midst of, you know, everything going on right now. Definitely a difficult topic to cover, but I would love just to sort of hear your, uh, your perspective on everything going on with COVID-19. And, you know, the, 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 I don't know if I'm allowed to say crazy world, but the world we're living in today, you know, <laughs> What does that all mean to you both, uh, you know, on, on the media side of things, on the, you know, practical medical side of things as well, too? What does that mean to you? You know, Matt, that's a really good question. I think you're allowed to say crazy when we're talking about <laughs> I, I feel self-conscious about saying the word crazy. Like, <laughs> usually I say, like, my, my, stall, my stalling is like, oh, that's crazy, right? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that anymore. <laughs> it's working. <laughs> my job. Um, no, the reality is, Situations like COVID, they are why I trained to go into emergency medicine, but this situation is not something that I ever imagined. I don't think any of us ever did. Um, and there's the medical problems of COVID, which, which we, is something that we're, we're starting to understand. We are starting to see who's vulnerable. We're trying a, a many different treatments and things. And you know, as emergency room doctors, as ICU doctors, the critical care is what we do. The big problem with COVID is not so much it is, it is an unsolvable medical problem. The problem is that it becomes a resource problem. And you've heard this, everybody's been talking about it, but the reality is COVID, you know, people talk about, oh, it's just like the flu. You know, the flu kills thousands and thousands of people a year. The flu kills people. It kills people over a six month period. We're talking about this happening in two or three weeks. So it doesn't take an operation specialist to understand that that's going to be a little bit of a flow problem. So for the people so, out there saying, well, the common flu kills more people, one of the big misconceptions is one, just the pace at which it, you can yes. die from it is a big difference for sure. Right. And it's not just the pace. It's that since there's no, you know, some people get the flu and die from it in November. Some will in February. You know, it's distributed out over six months. Versus this, since we have no natural immunity to COVID, we've never seen it before, people who are getting it, everybody's getting sick all at once. So that's why you're having that problem from a capacity standpoint. So that's, that's really the problem that we're talking about, why we're having every shortages on everything from beds and ventilators that you hear to medications and chloroquine and albuterol inhalers, which are those little puffer inhalers. We're having shortages on that. 
Uh, so that's where we come. This is really a becomes especially a logistics problem. The thing that's frustrating to me is that you do see, we're seeing pockets of the US that are really hot spots and they're responding in one way. But then I got a message from a follower the other day saying, my office is having a retirement party for one of my coworkers next week, complete with a buffet for everybody. And I don't think this is a good idea. The problem is this massive disparity in response from states and what I told her, you know, if we could cut those frivolous get-togethers and do that proactively, then you wouldn't need to be doing these draconian kind of lockdowns that we're doing because we're trying to catch up and try to just get ahead of this. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I, I got to ask both from your business world and your medical background. So the biggest issue I'm hearing is just access to resource, sort of more the economic side of the medical world than it is actually just the practitioner side. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? I mean, yes, and I don't want to understate the the hard part of and the critical nature of this. It is, but we're we're used to taking care of very difficult, complex, critical cases. What I am not used to, and I'm used to taking care of a stroke and a heart attack and a woman going into labor over here. I'm not used to some to doing that without any of the resources to do so. Yeah, without yeah. a way to protect myself, without a way to protect my other patients. Makes sense. How do you think, and this is, I'm not saying this is an easy question, but how do you, how do you think we were well prepared to handle this? And how do you think we were terribly prepared? And I understand, I certainly would probably relate to the resources side of things, but how do you think we were better equipped than the general public may think? And then how do you think we were really, really underserved? Does that make sense? Yes. Um, in terms of how we're better equipped, I think the, um, the, the minds that we have in this country the people who can, from a, a research standpoint, to look at this, the, the nurses and the doctors and the, the techs and the teams that we have. I mean, those are the people I'm standing elbow to elbow with in the emergency department. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, in terms of how we were poorly equipped, we've known we've had shortages for years. And uh, on a regular day, the, the problem is when people say COVID's causing all these patients who are sick, the reality is we didn't have any extra capacity on, on a regular day and ICU runs at 110%. No other business would be allowed to do that because it's not safe, it's not a good idea. Um, but due to insurance cuts and insurance problems and consolidations, due to malpractice, different things, there have been enormous amounts of shutdowns of hospitals. So we've seen absolute entire counties that have lost a hospital. So that creates you know, huge congestion at the hospitals that still remain. So we've had a lack of ICU beds. We've been saying this. I, on the regular, take care of two, three, four patients boarding that are ICU patients boarding in my ER for hours because they don't have ICU beds. That's before COVID came up. We've also had shortages of other equipment. I mean, there have been many surgeries over the past six months, elective surgeries that have gotten canceled because there was a problem with sterile surgical gowns. So when you already have shortages in terms of resources, you don't have capacity for another for an epidemic or pandemic. Do you think that this is going to, in a positive way, sort of force the hand to realize, hey, we were not equipped for this and we need to make sure that we're better equipped for this? Or do you think it'll be, hey, this is over now. Let's go back to the way we were doing things before. You know, I would, I would hope it would do the former. I think it has brought some you're an optimism at You're an optimist at heart, for sure, I can tell. Yeah, but that said, what do we need? We need, you know, in the latest, in the, in the um, COVID rescue bill, we had senators who were trying to slide in payment plans that would allow insurers to pay less to hospitals. Mm -hmm. So they were trying to slide that in because they've been trying to get that in. So 
that's part of the problem. It's like, that's how we got here in the first place. So if that continues, and I get it, insurers have really big lobbies. They have tons of money. We don't need to get in that. That's another interview for another day. But if we keep following that track, we're only going to be even worse. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, one of the ways that I was super excited to have you on the show, but also mildly intimidated, I will say, is that everything you do is like very healthy, right? You got recipes, you got workout plans, you got all these different things, which I need to probably uh, improve my own life. But what can the average person be doing who's stir crazy, who just doesn't know what to do with like all this random readjustment of downtime? How can you be healthy in the midst of this mental stress, emotional stress, physical stress that people are living right now? I think that's a great question. And I think Mainly one of I'm the just, I'm just selfishly asking like how many push-ups do like, I need today? Or like, like what, what's asking for a friend. <laughs> you know, Show um, links. Just like what, what's my diet today? Like, come on, feed me exactly. something. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I have a couple of pointers. Um, one is I think we're one of the reasons this is so hard is that you know many of us have additional responsibilities. Now I am also teaching my children. Um, but I think part of the problem is we typically have you have your personal life and you have your career and you have your family and these are little circles and there's a little bit of a Venn diagram overlap um, but there's boundaries you have these and they are discrete and right now all of these have been smashed together it's like a hydrogen bomb and there's no boundaries and that's very difficult so one of the things from a mental health standpoint I am telling people is do your best to start to separate these out a little bit. Have boundaries when you go in. We were bad about boundaries, about work le leaching into 24 seven as it was. Then it was just virtual. Now it's physically here. Create those boundaries. We know we need to have them. Um, don't be trying to multitask and you're constantly doing work. Now that you're home and you're doing work and you're in your kitchen and you're watching your children, our brains, we think we're really good at multitasking. I, I, did a lot of research on this for my book, but in, and also in the emergency department, we do a lot of thinking about cognitive theory and how our brains handle when they're overloaded. So you think you're really good at multitasking, yet actually we're not. It increases, it doubles our rate of error. If you're focusing on one thing and you're in the zone and you're writing that uh, a note or memo or email or whatever it is, you get interrupted, whether it's your child or that, hey, Nordstrom, 50% off shoes, whatever it is, it takes 15 minutes to get back to the level of focus that you were. It's an absolute productivity killer. So what would be, what would be sort of the mental cycles of like 20 minutes is what you should focus on and then allow yourself to be distracted? Or what would you say are sort of the rhythms of? So if you look at the Pomodoro technique, they say 25 minutes and then take a five minute break. And so you break your day into 30 minute intervals. And then after like four cycles, you can take like a 30 minute break. That's a Pomodoro technique. I say, listen to your own body. I mean, the other day I focused on something, but it was, we were doing it for an hour and a half, but after an hour and a half, I needed that break. So take a nap at that point. During, exactly. <laughs> Crawl under my desk. During that time that when you're doing work, shut off other things, shut off your tech, shut off your email, tell your family, I'm, I'm going to be shutting down for a second. So that when you're then with your family or, or whatever, you're not doing those work emails, you know, because you know, you're watching your children, you're trying to auto dict voice dictate this email to reply all to all your colleagues. Next thing you know, you have an email and it's like, Johnny, stop licking your sister's face. Don't try to combine those things, separate them. Really put boundaries. And so I'm trying to very clearly do work in my office and I have a, you know, I start work ritual and then I have an end work ritual. And yes, it happens outside of that zone, but I try to very mentally say, okay, now I'm finishing work. Otherwise, our brains don't have time to digest. 
and they have to have that. So that's the first. Second thing is, Matt, I would tell you, continue your routine. Whatever time you normally get up, have that be your time that you get up. You know, make sure part of a key part of that routine is exercise if you're doing it. So, Matt, are you a regular exerciser? Not an exerciser? Where are you? I uh, I have remained a level of like, I exercise at some point. I, I was an athlete growing up, and I've kept a hour and a half, two hour workout pretty consistently. Certainly traveling times wow. I'm not as good at, but I've tried to remain somewhat consistent. Okay, super impressed with you. So this doesn't isn't gonna apply to you so much, <laughs> although I would say keep that up. Say there's somebody who doesn't typically exercise at all. So if any of your listeners are there. Um, and so if you look at the science of how to create a habit, it pays to start small. And it's not because, it's because we as human beings, it's hard to create a habit, but our brain loves it if you can just get it started. So BJ Fogg, he's a behavioral psychologist out of Stanford. You, I'm sure you've probably heard of him with, with all the work you're doing. Um, and he wanted to start a push-up habit. So he said, every day after I brush my teeth, I'm going to do push-ups. Matt, how many think, Matt, how many push-ups do you think he decided to start off with? One, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah, That's why I didn't answer. I had to show you. I had to show you. <laughs> exactly. So BJ Fogg said, every day after I do my, after I brush my teeth, I'm going to do one push-up. Because the way your brain lays habits, it's like water running through stone. It takes a long time for it just to go from point A to point B. But the quantity doesn't matter so much. So if you want to go, if you're listening to this, I want to start walking, then I would say, don't, do not, do not, do not say, I'm going to run 5K tomorrow. Don't do it unless you're running 4.5K today. Don't do it. Instead, say, I'm going to walk for five minutes tomorrow. And I'm going to get up five minutes early to do that. And then, then if you don't, I don't want you to beat yourself up about it. I want you to say, okay, tomorrow, I'm instead going to aim for two and a half minutes and keep making it shorter until it's something that you can maintain. I don't care if it's one minute, you are creating that habit and then you can eventually increase it. So I'll tell everybody, we all need an outlet right now because this is unprecedented. Everybody's stressed out, going crazy. You need that outlet. For me, it's, it's running. I was saying I didn't get to my run in this morning and I can feel it. Thank um, you for being here <laughs> instead of yes, your run. <laughs> it's your fault. I know, um, I know. I'm sorry. We need our outlet. Start small and do that. And so I tell everybody, definitely start figuring out a way just for one minute of physical activity a day and then slowly increase it over two, four, six weeks. I don't care. Start small. Just do it every single day, however small it needs to be. Amazing. No, that's good. And uh, yeah, of course, asking for a friend, but I'm not going to go do one push up or anything like that. So, <laughs> no, it's well, good. That's a kind of workout for an hour and a half. So, you're doing a great job. I'm Usually, it's just racking weights for somebody else, right? You know, it's not even a full workout, but. <laughs> So, so I want to transition more into you, your story and everything that you're doing, because like, obviously the practical side of medicine and obviously, you know, the speaking engagements with COVID-19, but you are building something special. And I'm just curious, like, so between being a TEDx speaker, a best-selling author, a mom, a doctor, like, again, I'm going to refer to Superwoman time and time again, but like, how like what is like truly driving all that what is like i know you're probably very good at separating hey today i'm gonna go be a doctor right now i'm gonna be a mom those things but what is sort of pushing all that forward so this all came about i think the very first time the little nugget of these ideas started i was in residency i was at yale i'd always been very healthy never really had any medical problems and i started to wake up with my my ankles and my feet and my knees and my hands swollen really obviously so my fingers were so swollen i couldn't hold a pen i'm trained as a classical pianist i i, I couldn't do that i couldn't type i couldn't stand up 
long enough to see all my patients. I had to sit down. And I went from being somebody who could run, was running three miles a day to not being able to walk when I got up in the morning. How old old were you at the time? I was in my 20s. So 25, 26. Um, I remember driving from New Haven to Boston for a second opinion. And that amount of time, two hours of being still, my, my joints swelled. I got to Boston. It let, I walked out of my car. I was about 50 feet away and I was wearing flip-flops because nothing else fit my feet and realized I'd left my car unlocked. And I remember thinking, forget about it. I don't care. Like, I, I let somebody steal my car. I'm in so much pain. Walking 50 feet is not worth it to me. And I've never had that kind of low point before. They ended up diagnosing me with psoriatic arthritis and which is kind of a fluke. Nobody in my family has has arthritis or anything, Um, went through a bunch of different medications, was eventually put on an injectable medication, which if you do need a laugh, you should watch a doctor learn to give herself a shot. I uh, insisted on going into the office. I'm giving myself my shot and I try it. And then the God bless the poor nurse who was there. I'm giving myself my shot. I was like, I can taste it. I think I might've hit an artery. The nurse is like, the needle's three millimeters. You're good. You're good. It's not um, even in yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you haven't actually injected it. Yet. <laughs> Tell my mother I love her. Um, you know, the, the problems of knowing, uh, knowing medicine. And yep. so, um, actually, those injections helped, but I was giving myself injections twice a week. I was immunosuppressed. I was seeing patients in the emergency department, and I was being told that yeah, you're 25, you're going to have to do this for the rest of your life. You have a form of arthritis called, you know, arthritis mutans. It, it will just mutate and dis- disable your hands and legs. And if you want to be able to play and run and ha- you know, have children and, and run and play with them when they are 10 and 15 years old, you're, this is the rest of your life. I didn't like that answer. Yeah, that's, I don't know if I would love that either. So I thought, you know, I'm at Yale. I have access to some of the very best people in the world. And so I started digging, started digging through the science. I started digging through the holistic information and, and realizing one of the things was, that became very clear is as a physician, I was trained, randomized clinical trials, double blinded, all, all those terms. And if it didn't have those, I wasn't going to advocate for it for my patients. And I really learned that there are some things, whether they are because they've been used for thousands and thousands of years, or just because you can't do that kind of study to them, it doesn't mean that it's invalid. You still have to apply that same science brain to it though, to figure out supplements, nutrition. How can I use all of these things that may not be in medical textbooks, but that we all need? So I I did that to my own health. And I remember telling a friend's father that I was going to cut these different things from my diet. And, um, and he was a physician, is a physician, is a loving, wonderful man. But he looked at me, he's like, that'll never work. Mm-hmm. And it worked. So for me, I was able to come off of all those medications. Like, are you, are you allowed to, are comfortable sharing like what some of the things that you cut from, you, you mentioned diet? Yeah, like no, absolutely. Diet? So um, I, I was that person. I used to, Matt, have bags of Swedish fish in my white pocket. Love that. Um, in the middle of an ER. For the, for the patients, of course, not for you. For the <laughs> patients, of course. You can be like, exactly. Some propofol for you, a Swedish fish for you. Everybody gets a Swedish fish. Um, so I would have Swedish fish. I would go home after a shift. I'd eat some Twizzlers right before. Like, I was eating a ton of sugar, a ton of processed food because I was exhausted. I was also working 36 hour shifts. Um, 
and how I was handling stress. My husband was two and a half hours away. There were a number of things from nutrition, sleep, stress, number of a variety of different things, uh, trying different supplements. I was very care I'm, I'm very careful about supplements. I think just because something is natural does not mean it's necessarily healthy. I mean, arsenic is natural. So is lead and mercury. Not necessarily, natural does not imply healthy. So, but trying different things, um, turmeric for one of the things, and uh, was able to eventually, you know, overnight, late, long overnight shifts, was able to come off of the medications. And I came off of them in 2011. And that is not to say, if be very careful, because there are a lot of people who are um, hawking their miracle cures. I do not have a miracle cure for anything. It is to say, however, that there are a variety of solutions and that lifestyle and how we're handling the 360 of our health has an enormous impact on it. And so that was very eye-opening. Um, so that was how I was doing it for my own health. And I was really able to help my own health. Um, but I still, the media was never a, a part of the grand vision. Having been to business school, I thought I was going to be doing, you know, healthcare investing. And then I was again in residency and it was a swine flu epidemic. I don't know if you remember the swine flu epidemic. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, right. It's a good thing memes weren't around then because it would have been. <laughs> it <would've> been <laughs> Maybe we would have been better off had they been. Exactly. Uh, I've seen some good ones. Um, but you know, people were hearing on the local news, you know, stay tuned for the 10 p.m. for the death toll of the swine flu. Uh, I hope you like my my uh, media voice. That's totally Yeah, amazing. it's good. I was kind of hoping you were going to talk the whole time with that. So I don't yeah, know. I'm exactly. a little disappointed at this exactly. point. <laughs> uh, so patients were coming in. Our waiting room length of stay, waiting room time to see a doctor was eight hours. So now I see somebody and I say to them, you know what? You probably have swine flu. You do you? P.S. You probably got it in our waiting room if you didn't already have it, um, but you're a 35-year-old. I can see your vital signs. You look well. You look healthy. You're going to be okay. I'm sorry that you were so terrified by this, and that's why I started thinking, we need a different voice. We need a different message. People need to hear this information, so I just started doing local news, and local news led to doing national news and the Dr. Oz show, and um, led to doing a lot of of CNN work and everything. And, and it wasn't, but so I was doing that. And remember I told you at the beginning that there was, there was my ER life and then there was my own personal life. And then I was talking about things in the news and it really wasn't until the last couple of years. So I said, you know, I'm doing this in my individual life. I can now use this media platform to help people because people are asking for holistic health information. They're asking for lifestyle and nutrition information. The problem is a lot of times they go to their doctors, neither their doctors, they don't have time, they don't know the answers, and so people kind of feel blown off by their doctors, and they're going to sometimes very questionable sites that are really just trying to sell them something for this information, and there's not somebody who's bridging the gap between the holistic information and the science-based information. It's like, that's what I needed, that's what I did for myself. That's what everybody needs. How do I build that? Yeah, that's that's so good. And I'm so this is going to be a funny question. Uh, so I am uh, by trade an entrepreneur, and I've got a lot of ideas going on all the time, right? And so my rule of thumb is, if I think about it in the shower twice in a row, two days in a row, <laughs> that means it's an idea that's worth sticking. So in whatever capacity you do your best thinking, however that might be, what is like, what is the like, what are you spending the most time thinking about today? Is it sort of, you know, telling the story from a holistic health, the pra practical science, combining it all in one, but what are you spending the most time thinking about sort of today and what you're doing, you know, going forward? 
Yeah, I think that's great. Um, for me, it's right before I go to bed. It's like when you're, it's when your brain is allowed to be free. Um, and I think one of the final catalysts for this is I was reading somebody who said that, you know, talking about their health expertise when they actually don't have any and realizing how many people were getting confused and led astray by this. And I got mad. And I think like a lot of good, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business ideas come out of you get mad. I get, and I got mad that my patients are getting confused and the audience members are getting confused. So really today, what I do is one of the reasons I love social media is it's, you get that one-on-one. -on -one. You get that one-on-one -on -one directly from somebody from Milwaukee or Chicago or LA and what they are wondering about, whether it's detox or some fad they saw or how to lose weight or a coronavirus and saying, how do I take these questions? It's everybody's answer asking. Um, how do I look at all of them with a scientific lens, but looking broadly at all the information and lifestyle and, and how do I deliver it? Then how do I take it? deliver it in a way that is doesn't feel like a prescription but feels fun and relatable and and premium and a little bit of aspirational and enjoyable and a little bit like you're having a little bit of a distraction because you enjoy reading it but you're also learning and you're also getting something that you walk away and you get that aha aha moment and feel like your problem was solved even if it was a small problem everything you're reading you've got a problem solved and now you don't know what to do that's what I'm always trying to figure out. What do people need? How can I deliver it in that way for them? Yeah, that's, that's special. And that transitions into my favorite question in the whole world is ultimately, what is it that like you feel like gets you out of bed the morning the most? And it might be your kids because literally they wake you up. But what is it, <laughs> what is it, what is it for you that like, I, I guess at, at the core of who you are, sort of the influence that you want to have, what is it that drives you to get up and get out of bed and have the energy that you do? So that's yes, it is my six-year-old. Physically, the the literal answer to that Mom, is time to get up. Time to get up. Yes, <laughs> the eyeballs, or the worst is when they. I'd rather do they do the eyeballs. The worst is when they just stand there. Why are children little creepers? They just come and stand there by you, and you ah, and you look at his little. Face. I don't. I don't. I don't have kids, but I have a dog, and my dog will literally, when it's right in the morning, will be right here, and she's just wagging her tail. It's just okay. Chill out. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes, I, I. I had one person who told me that they were they come home from a late night. As a, a side note, they had come home from a late night ER shift showering after you know being in the ER their family had been totally asleep and um, she sneezed in the shower and you know the whole family sound asleep she sneezed in the shower and then she hears this little voice go bless you <laughs> and it was her four-year-old uh, horror like, film instantly killed. get me out no thanks child. like I nearly killed my child because I came out swinging <laughs> I was like why are they such creepers sometimes? Uh. But that wasn't what you asked. So <laughs> let's go back to your answer. I love living at my edge. And what is that in the ER? That is taking care of those most critical patients where you see that you are moving the needle because you pulled them back from the edge. Um, that is what I like doing. And that's now what I'm doing with, with my work. I don't no, much like the emergency department. I don't know what's necessarily going to happen that day. I don't know when CNN is going to call me and going to need me to go on or what they're going to ask me. But much like the emergency department, one of the things I love is that I can stand and I can look at those double doors and I can say, I don't know what's coming in, but I know that whatever is coming in, I can handle it. And that's what I like doing with the work I'm doing, taking those answers that sometimes can seem 
really difficult and issues that seem very difficult that maybe kind of mainstream medicine may tend to shy away from, but leaning in to that. And I remember, if I can share one story, when I was working at, at ShareCare, I uh, was working closely with Dr. Oz and it was an interesting, it was a wonderful relationship. My job is that I came and I said, I want to clean up and add clinical medical review to all of this content because everything needs to have the science behind it. And there were a couple of questions that were on there that had been kind of legacy questions. I said, you know what, There's these questions are grounded in kind of, in something that's not even scientific. Let's take them off. I'm not even going to answer them. And Emmer Dr. Oz said, Daria, you can do that. He said, I'll, I'll support you if you think that those aren't evidence-based. You're the one who's making those decisions on what's evidence-based. He said, but people are asking those questions. He said, so you can walk away from them and turn your head. He said, those same people are then going to go elsewhere to get those answers. And you have no idea where they're going to get those answers, how evidence-based they'll be. He said, the other option is you can lean into that. You can and face the questions, answer them in a way that you know is evidence-based and deliver that information to them. I was like, ah, oh, you're right, that's good. Dang it, it's too good. <laughs> oh, you're good. And, but that's what I do now, is lean into those things that can be hard, but I'm bringing it from that scientific, what I said, the scientific soul to be able to answer those questions. And that's what gets me up in the morning because that is fun, that is exciting, it is unpredictable, but it absolutely moves the needle for people. And creating a platform that does that, where people can know and trust that they can go to that platform and get the science I delivered, like I say, was from the scientific background, scientific with a little bit of bringing the sanity as well. And it's also enjoyable and they can get their answers, they can trust it. Yeah, I love that. So where can people, like obviously we'll include in the show notes, everything, all your you know, social handles as well too. But for somebody who wants to maybe bring you on as a speaker, engage with you professionally, you know, how, how, what's the best way for them to reach you? Yeah, so anybody who is, uh, my website is drdaria.com, of course, and two R's in Daria, so D-R-D-A-R-R-I-A. Not Daria, not Daria. Not Daria. Daria. Don't call me Daria. <laughs> uh, don't call me Shirley. Um, and then my social handles are the same, Dr. Daria. It's on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, right now, a lot of what I'm trying to do is really get people's questions, especially on Instagram and then answer them in real time Instagram stories and play with that medium, which is hard. And I think part of being an entrepreneur is you are always pushing that growing edge. And there are things that you do not know. I did not train in marketing. I did not train in journalism and how to use a camera and how to use your best angles. I didn't do yeah, that. Clearly I could use some work on that. So we're <laughs> Matt, you got it, darling. You're perfect. Um, but so it's learning as I go, but I think that's, Part of what running a business is and so all of those places uh, people are absolutely able to contact me through all of those and i will answer them linkedin is a great way to message me as well awesome dr Dari. i want to give you an opportunity is there any you know anything else you want to leave the audience with this has obviously been amazing i feel like i need to go do some push-ups go for a run uh definitely more than one push-up right because i'm going to over you know overextend and not make it last <laughs> right so but you know what is there anything else you want to leave the audience with you know i I think that we, right now we're dealing with COVID. We'll all have, always have challenges. When COVID leaves, there'll be a new, a new challenge and anybody who's running a business knows that. I think the main thing is, is finding your way, however it is, your strength, so that you can look at your own equivalent of that double door of the ER and say, I don't know what's coming in today, but I know that whatever comes in, I can handle it, I've got this, and I'm ready. 
And we all have our own ways of finding that. And I think that when you find that, that's when you really can start to push forward. That's amazing. And I'm going to use that to go about my not crazy day, but my day, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. Hashtag not crazy busy, Matt. There you go. You've created a new one. Dr. Daria, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been amazing. I just very, very thankful for having you. And also shout out to Nilly, who's uh, obviously the one who orchestrated this as well too. So thank you so much. She's the bomb. Thank awesome. you, Matt. This is such a pleasure. Thank you.